This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. There are new concerns tonight about environmental damage as crews work to clean up a fuel spill from a tugboat that sank late last night. It went down in the Fraser River off Deering Island in South Vancouver, the tug carrying as much as 22,000 liters of fuel at the time. Ramina Dea has more on the cleanup effort and the potential damage. Tidal traffic continues on the Fraser River as the investigation begins into how a tugboat sank Monday night. It happened very, very quickly, not a lot of time, uh, but again, uh, fortunate to have a tug rigged uh, very close that was able to pick up the, uh, the crew. Four crew members rescued by another tug. The greatest concern now, 22,000 liters of diesel reportedly on board. We're still assessing uh, the impacts, uh, but right now we cannot say for certain how much has been released and the degree to which uh, impacts have occurred. Containment booms surround the sunken tug and absorbent pads are being used to soak up the fuel. Diesel, as, uh, as Ken was saying, uh, it does, uh, the lighter ends dissipate fairly quickly, uh, but it tends to, in some cases to be uh, more toxic and more harmful for, for wildlife if it remains in the environment. Uh, but that said, this is dissipating uh, very, very quickly. Concerned residents said they could smell the diesel. Never even been to that area, but it was closed. As a precaution, McDonald Beach in Richmond and Fraser River Park in Vancouver now closed. Officials warning people to keep their dogs out of the water. The Canadian Coast Guard says divers have successfully plugged the vessel, which will hopefully minimize the amount of fuel leaking into the water. For safety reasons, the owner of the tug, Ledcor, tells Global News the recovery operation won't happen until Wednesday, when an additional larger crane and barge will be used to lift the sunken boat. Ramina Dea, Global News. To the wildfire situation now that's exploding around the province, there are currently more than 560 active fires burning around B.C. 1,500 properties are under evacuation order and 9,000 properties under an evacuation alert. Residents of Quinell are among those on edge tonight as wildfires encroach on their community. The Caribou Regional District particularly concerned about the Narcosley Creek fire burning southwest of the town and the Shag Creek fire. Richard Zussman is live in Quinell tonight, and Richard people there are preparing to get out at a moment's notice. They are, Chris, and you can see the smoke from that fire. That is West Quinell there where there is an evacuation alert in place, and everyone across Quinell watching very closely the fires throughout the region. That smoke has just turned the sky red. It is a province on fire. This from the Shovel Lake Fire west of Prince George. At 50 hectares, it's the largest in British Columbia. 
Further south, West Quesnel is on evacuation alert. The chief of the community's fire department, Sylvain Gauthier, says they're ready if things get worse. In the event that a major uh, catastrophe would happen or that we would have to evacuate our people, we are prepared. So we're looking at all contingency plans. The alert started on Friday. The Lacoustine First Nation is three hours from here. The community evacuated and the band office in Quesnel continues to be on high alert. I think it's the frustration um, feeling that uh, the northern communities are being neglected. The whole west is burning. Um, we've got fires, remote villages, one access road. Um, and this is our new norm. MLA Coralie Oaks has been working with the community. She is stressing that people now have to bunker down for the long haul. Last year it was 77 days. And so how do we make sure as a community, as a region, that we've got the longevity as far as resourcing? There is a sense in town that people are ready to leave at a moment's notice. We would pack up our uh, the will, the house insurance, the, um, uh, the animals, dog food. One of the challenges of this fire season is how spread out the fires are. These daunting pictures are from near Burns Lake. Those that are evacuated are being told to head to the CN Centre in Prince George. It was kind of scary because it was so thick. Yeah, every time we tried to go away from the shoreline, we started to get lost. We can't even see the shoreline about like what 50 meters away from the boat. The hope for those evacuated here is that when they go home, there will be something to go home to. Richard, some incredible pictures of the smoke in that region there. We complain about it here in the Lower Mainland, but it really is impacting fighting the fires in a couple of ways up there. Yeah, two reasons, Chris. First, the smoke is having an effect on the aircraft that can actually get up and fight those fires. Second, the province is having a hard time measuring actually how big those fires are because of the amount of smoke. As for what comes next, we're expecting a lot of the same in the weather, which is not great news, although they are expecting the temperature to drop just a little bit, which could provide some sort of relief for people here, Chris. All right, Richard, uh, wishing the best for those folks in Quesnel. Thank you very much for that report. And to Grand Forks now, devastated by flooding just three months ago and now dealing with its own wildfire fears. An evacuation alert is in effect for nearly two dozen properties as the Toronto Creek wildfire burns just a few kilometers north of the downtown area. Ground crews using heavy equipment are aided by air support, but those on alert have their precious possessions packed and are ready to go if needed. It's kind of scary. Luckily, our farm doesn't have many trees surrounding our house or our fields, so we're pretty safe, but a lot of other people in the area might actually be at risk, so it's kind of scary. The fire's estimated at 11 hectares and 70% contained, but it's not the only fire causing concern in that area. Officials are also keeping a close eye on two fires burning on the American side of the border. Well, we mentioned the smoke earlier, and even here in the Lower Mainland, it's raising concerns. Smoke continues to blanket Metro Vancouver, and with little relief in the forecast, Catherine Urquhart has a look at how people are coping. Like I said, everything is a, is a chore. For Wendell Noons, every breath is a struggle. He has COPD chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Now he's dealing with the poor air quality. Smoke is one of the hardest things for us to get over. Oxygen helps him, so does assistance from the group Better Breathers. Always have a friend or a parent 
someone close that you can phone that knows the circumstances that you're into. Many others are suffering as well. Some people may react differently and may, they may experience some uh, chest pain, short of breath, and if that is the case, I would, I would advise that people should seek help. The dense haze blanketing Vancouver is a surprise for those visiting. I, I think this is uh, the fog uh, of the mist. And what would you say if I told you that it's actually smoke from forest fires? That's really bad. That's really bad. At the Van Open in West Vancouver, not ideal conditions. Ginny Bouchard tweeting, wish I could see a Vancouver. The weather is literally smoke. So far, there have been no issues with athletes. And they're um, fit and healthy and used to playing in various conditions. Back in Langley, Wendell is managing as best he can. When that window is open, I can barely walk from here to the bathroom without really going into hard breathing. I walk from the bathroom to here and I have to sit down because breathing is hard. But he's anxious for a shift in the weather. Cleaner air, sure to make a difference with every breath he takes. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, we'll bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now for more on the haze and when we could see that reprieve. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Well, from my vantage point here in Crescent Beach, you would typically be able to see the buildings in Burnaby and New Westminster. Right now, you can barely even see a cross-boundary bay. Uh, the air quality has gone worse compared to yesterday. It's now at a high-risk level for Metro Vancouver and Fraser Valley. Let's look at the current NASA satellite image to show you how thick that smoke is from Prince George right down to Kamloops and a band extending out to the coast, wrapping back around and covering the lower mainland and southern Vancouver. Vancouver Island with that smoke. Now we expect the conditions to remain as such tonight through the morning hours at least tomorrow. We hope potentially a bit of a reprieve later tomorrow but more likely that haze lightening up on Thursday but I think we'll continue to see the haze even at that Chris. All right thanks Christy we'll check in with you in just a few minutes. Right now though breaking details of a possible drowning at Bunsen Lake. The Sassamad Fire Department confirms it's on scene with RCMP those in the area say a dive team has been spotted. Bunsen Lake is currently closed to the public. We'll have an update as soon as it becomes available. Surrey RCMP are looking for witnesses to a fatal crash in Port Kells last weekend. It happened just before 5 Saturday afternoon at the intersection of 176th Street and 96th Avenue. Two vehicles, a Volvo semi-tractor and a Hyundai Santa Fe SUV collided. Two women in the SUV were killed. Two others in that vehicle were rushed to hospital with serious injuries. Police don't believe alcohol or speed were factors in the crash, but anyone who may have seen the vehicles before it happened or anyone with dash cam footage is being asked to call RCMP. Trinity Western University will no longer require students to sign its controversial community covenant. Previously, all students had to sign the agreement promising to abstain from all sex outside of heterosexual marriage. That pledge was at the center of a long-running legal battle over the university's plans to open a law school. The change goes into effect in September and could pave the way for TWU to take another run at opening its law school. Well, the new school year is fast approaching, and this time around, students will learn new skills to protect their secrets. Digital literacy is now part of the curriculum. And Ted Chernecki explains why privacy education is now considered essential. 
There is undoubtedly another you in the cyber world that probably knows you better than you know you. In just a few months, all those companies offering free this, free that, have been collecting all kinds of your personal information. Ron Darwin is a UBC lecturer who is working on a PhD focusing on privacy and internet commerce. When you think about the you that's created by the internet, right? There's so much information out there that can really not just influence the way you behave offline, but also by extracting that kind of information, shape who you get connected to and what kind of information you receive. Yeah. <laughs> Once your info is out there, it's like putting toothpaste back in the tube. This is one of the videos in a new course being offered to grade 6 to 12 students this year by the BC Privacy Commissioner. I think we've taught kids well about issues like uh, staying safe online. We're teaching kids about using computers to make them uh, better to go into the workforce. But issues about their privacy and things that they need to in order to manage their own reputations, and that's what these teaching plans offer. It's thanks to all those terms of service agreements that no one reads that enables internet companies to harvest your personal information non-stop. Privacy advocates want teachers to delve into those details. Getting kids to sit down and take a look at one sample uh, text and be able to understand it, just to know exactly what kind of information these companies are extracting from us. And it's not just online privacy that's an issue. When it comes to crossing international borders, for example, the BC Civil Liberties Association recently launched a campaign saying there is absolutely nothing on your phone that is private here. The way some people talk about it is, look, this isn't really a phone, it's the inside of my head, it's all these things that I think about, it's what I want to shop, it's my aspirations, it's who I talk to, it's all of those things. We have become so reliant on these devices that banishing them isn't really an option anymore. So that sends education and awareness to the front lines of the privacy war. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Accused of preying on children. That's later, but right now, an unusual case to say the least. A Bigfoot believer is taking the provincial government to court, claiming it hasn't done enough to protect the Sasquatch. The tracker believes his evidence proves without a doubt the species exists. But as Aaron MacArthur explains, some feel even allowing this case to go to court is beyond reasonable. I have DNA. I have photographs. There is no doubting Todd's standing sincerity. He believes Sasquatch is real. And he knows the truth is out there. Tuesday, the truth was in court. Standing wants to sue the government for failing to protect Sasquatch habitat. If you don't love the wilderness... You have, there's no ability for you to build any kind of relationship on that. Standing claims he has had several encounters with the mythical North American primate and says the government won't listen to reason. The government wants his lawsuit thrown out, calling it frivolous and without any air of reality. Do you think you wasted the court's time today? Absolutely not. Do you think it's a waste of time, the, the discovery of a millennium? Lawyers say this is an all-too-common problem. Scheduling court time, hard enough. Having what are called vexatious litigants tie up valuable court resources only adds to the problem. In provincial court, you're often going to go several months or even over a year before you actually get a trial date for a criminal matter. This case brought a senior lawyer from the Attorney General's office in Victoria for the day, plus an articling student who argued the case. 
an hour and 20 minutes of the court's time, plus a written decision from a judge still to be handed down. So the other party has the ability to uh, make a motion to strike the pleadings and say there's no cause here for the kind of lawsuit that is being pursued. Sasquatch sightings are rare and always shrouded in mystery. But there are those like Todd Standing who say they have irrefutable proof. Whether the court agrees is anyone's guess. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A major bridge collapse in northern Italy. Northern Italy video appears to show one of the towers of the suspension bridge buckling in stormy weather while a man screams, oh my God, in Italian. More than 20 people are dead and there are fears there could be many more as rescue teams search the rubble. While investigators are trying to determine a cause of the collapse, the company confirms the bridge, which dates back to the 1960s, was undergoing maintenance at the time. This video capturing the horror. The moment a massive bridge collapses during a powerful storm, sending cars plunging, witnesses stunned. I got out of the car and I saw people running away uh, from the bridge and some people, there was even a guy with his um, face covered in blood. Hundreds of first aid responders rushing to the scene, digging through tons of concrete and steel. This firefighter carrying out one rescue, lowering a survivor down from the bridge. What is the biggest danger for any potential survivors? Well, uh, up to now, there is no gas leaks or anything. They, if there are any survivors, they are trapped in maybe some confined space. The bridge seen here before the collapse stretched over residential buildings and the water. This is how it looks tonight. That green truck avoiding disaster by inches. Officials say as many as 38 vehicles were on the 50-year-old Morandi Bridge, which is part of a main road to France, when a 260-foot span began crumbling. Tomorrow is a major summer holiday, many traveling on the bridge to get to nearby beaches and mountains. Tonight, officials say work was underway on the bridge's foundation when the collapse happened and are launching an investigation to find out what sparked a disaster, which for dozens of drivers came without warning. The next few hours are critical for finding any survivors trapped beneath the rubble. Rescue teams say they'll continue working through the night, but officials fear the death toll may rise. And London is once again on edge after a driver plowed his vehicle into a group of pedestrians and cyclists near Britain's Houses of Parliament. At least three people were injured in what police are calling a deliberate attack. The suspect is now in custody. This just the latest in a string of attacks using vehicles as deadly weapons. The car that was used as a weapon crashed outside Parliament. CCTV captures it swerving into the wrong lane, hitting cyclists, then heading for the most heavily guarded building in Britain. Two police officers jumping out of its speeding path. In my opinion, the person knew what they were doing. Armed police surrounded the car, the driver hauled out and handcuffed. He's 29, British, born overseas. We are treating it as a terrorist incident. It happened just yards from last year's vehicle attack that killed five. This driver also, it appears, acting alone. Police are now searching the man's car. They have found no weapons and they're searching for a motive. He wasn't on any British terror watch list. This, another frightening reminder of the terror threat. Bill Neely, NBC News, London.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's a flood emergency in the northeastern United States after heavy rains pounded the area. Many creeks swelling beyond their banks, turning town streets into rivers. In Tremont, Pennsylvania, flash floods meant several people had to be rescued, including more than 100 rafters on a field trip. Luckily, all of them have now been accounted for. The water is starting to recede, but the damage left behind is just starting to be revealed. Another shameful cover-up from the Catholic Church is coming to light this time in Pennsylvania. A grand jury report has unveiled over 300 predator priests, and they were protected by the church for decades, while nearly a thousand young victims were forced to suffer in silence. In searing, damning language, the grand jury report revealed the dark secrets of the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania. Priests were raping little boys and girls, and the men of God who were responsible for them did nothing. They hid it all. It was child sexual abuse, including rape committed by grown men, priests, against children. The report found over a thousand child victims identified in the church's own records. The alleged crimes often described as inappropriate contact or boundary issues. I am so angry. Julianne Bort says she was molested as a teen. When she came forward in 2002, she says the church said it was hiring a private investigator. I found out today that it wasn't him that they were looking at. They were looking at me. The report finding a pattern among the bishops and church leaders. The main thing was not to help children, but to avoid scandal. It names more than 300 predator priests in six dioceses, from one end of the state to the other, home to more than 1.7 million Catholics. Almost every instance of abuse too old to be prosecuted. But the investigation did result in two priests being criminally charged with sexually assaulting children during the past decade. From the diocese today... Apologies. I ask you. The church asks you for forgiveness. But for some, words are not enough. People want total transparency. They want the bishops to report what happened, why it happened, and how they're going to make sure that it never happens again. Many of those same bishops and their past handling of abuse cases are implicated in this investigation, including Cardinal Donald Wuerl, the former bishop of Pittsburgh. Wuerl, now in Washington, says he acted with diligence, concern for victims, and to prevent future abuse. A shocking decision from a New Mexico judge has now placed her own life in danger. The judge granting four of the five adults accused of abusing 11 children in a remote compound unsecured bond. The released suspects will be equipped with GPS monitoring devices. The judge says despite the allegations that the children were being trained to carry out deadly attacks, the state failed to prove the suspects posed any risk to the public. That judge has now received hundreds of threats, including one that forced the courthouse to be evacuated. Nine people were injured in what the Denver Fire Department calls the biggest natural gas explosion the city has seen in a decade. 
Shattered ruins now stand in place of the fourplex. One person was initially trapped in the rubble but has now been freed. Officials are still trying to piece together exactly what caused the explosion. And in health matters tonight, how technology is changing the future of health care. The Google generation, anyone between the age of 18 to 34, is leading a major shift away from illness treatment to illness prevention. As Grace Key reports, by embracing things like Fitbits and other health apps, young patients are forcing health care providers to adapt. If I were or some patient were to feel they were having some heart palpitations, you just have to put your fingers on these two electrodes. Instead of waiting for a doctor's appointment, what could take days can be done in a matter of seconds. And it will actually record your heart rate and determine whether or not you have atrial fibrillation. It's the type of technology UBC medical student and medical innovator Philip Edgecombe's generation is embracing. I think the Google generation, they are on the forefront of what is going to be an entire transformation in our healthcare system. Patients are becoming empowered and healthcare literate as they move from looking for sick care to healthcare. New findings from the Canadian Medical Association show the Google generation, those between 18 and 34, make 11 or more doctor visits a year and they're the most eager to use technology to manage their health. 7 out of 10 Canadians would take advantage of virtual physician visits. 70% also believe that using technology for personal healthcare can help prevent illnesses. The CMA says this is a wake-up call for the healthcare system. Canada lags behind other G7 countries in terms of healthcare technology adoption. We need to scale up our investment in healthcare technology. We need more policy and we need action now. So let's say I wanted to check to see what the electrical activity of my heart was right now. It's a future with artificial intelligence and virtual monitoring at home that may change a person's quality of life. One day it may be that an ambulance shows up at your home to tell you that you're at risk of having a stroke within the next day or two and we need you to come into the hospital so that we can help you to prevent that. Grace Key, Global News. The rush to save an ailing resident orca continues with scientists taking some unusual steps. A team of researchers now releasing live salmon to tempt the emaciated whale to eat. But as Kylie Stanton reports, it's a risky undertaking. A live Chinook salmon goes into a tube and out into the open ocean, hopefully finding its way to one emaciated whale. There's a reason this technique has never been tried before. It's not only complicated, it's incredibly risky. They are using a, a tube to uh, essentially drop the fish into the water to uh, ensure that the whales, which who have very good eyesight and obviously are very intelligent, don't associate people with salmon availability. But that's the chance this team is willing to take to try and save J50. The three-and-a-half-year-old female who's lost a significant amount of weight in recent months and now appears lethargic. Last week, scientists took the first step in her treatment, administering a dose of antibiotics with a dart and obtaining a blow sample to help determine what's wrong. Sunday's feeding trial was an attempt to bolster her chances. If she does eat fish from, a, you know, from that sort of method, it does give us one more tool in our ability to treat her. It's not known if J50 actually consumed a fish, and because of the conditions, they weren't able to obtain a scale sample from the water to confirm. But they did get a fecal sample from a subgroup of whales, including J50. 
that's now undergoing further analysis. It can tell us what whether she's eating, what she's eating, and get a sense of uh, what's going on in her body at the time. Her survival is crucial. J50's death would further devastate the population that's now dwindled to just 75. The loss of her reproductive potential only further endangering the species that already has the odds stacked against them. Contamination and pollution, lack of prey, prey availability, and then vessel traffic and its associated noise pollution. So, you know, it's kind of this one, two, three punch. This coordinated effort is a chance to raise the public's awareness and potentially turn things around. But as with all endangered species, and especially this whale, it's a race against time. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The county sheriff in California saves the day, freeing an angry bear stuck in one of those cars. Watch what happens right after Christie's forecast. She's down at the beach right now in White Rock at the Beach House Theater in Crescent Beach tonight, Christy. That's right. Not why rocking Crescent Beach, Chris. Uh, you can see the actors here. Uh, this is Beach House Theater, and they're just doing their walkthrough for the opening night of Rumors. Performance happening tonight at 8 o'clock. And you can see the, the uh, stage there with the natural backdrop of Boundary Bay. Just a very spectacular uh, way to watch theater in a very intimate uh, um, uh, venue. It's sort of like Bart on the Beach, but smaller. And you know what's so special is that this is run by volunteers. 50 volunteers. The actors are professionally trained, but they're also volunteering their time. The performance are, performances are spectacular, and we'll be talking to a couple of the actors in a second. Let's talk about the haze, though, that we're seeing right now. Looking out across English Bay, you can barely see Vancouver Island. You can barely even see the barges out on the water, and it's because of that smoke. Visibility at 13 kilometers right now. Uh, at one point, it did get up to 16 today, but still, that's very limited. Humidity at 78%, and you can feel that humidity. It's really muggy out there. A nice shot from Quadra Island. Thanks to Peter for that you can see the smoke looking out towards Vancouver. Uh, I don't know if he's uh, trying to rub it in or not, but there's beautiful sunshine over the north part of Vancouver Island, that air quality advisory mainly across the southern part of Vancouver Island, but very high from central to southern uh, BC. Uh, the air quality got worse today for Metro Vancouver. We're now part of the high risk level of air quality, whereas Vancouver Island is at a moderate level, and uh, that got worse as well. But we do expect it to continue as such for the next 24 hours at least before we could potentially see it get a little bit better that all of those icons that you see with cloud that really is the smoke blocking the sun so temperatures tomorrow not warming up as much as they would if we were to be seeing the sunshine and hazy conditions expected all across the lower mainland and southern Vancouver Island again tomorrow it could be potentially Thursday Friday that we could break out of that a little bit but I think by Saturday Sunday we will be back into smoky conditions once again I want to introduce you to two, two actors uh, this this is Thomas Gage and Janine Guy. Thank you very, very much for being here and for having us. Um, you know, you've been volunteering for three years. I know you have, Thomas, two for you, Janine. Um, tell us why is it so, so special to keep coming back here to Beach Hell Theater? It's, it's, it's just such a great experience to be a part of a, a building, right? You come down here and the lights are on and, and you see the sunset, you see the ocean. And, and, and to be a part of making this, uh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun like night after night and you just never get tired of it. And Janine, tell us about tonight's performances, performance rumors. Uh, well, it's opening night, so it is electric.
trick in here. It's what we've been waiting for. We've been rehearsing. Our directors are so kind. They've been laughing at our jokes for the last three months. God bless them. Um, but now we get to find out if it's actually funny. So I'm sure it will be. You know, I can feel the energy already with everyone uh, rehearsing. There's also a matinee performances, uh, Miss Electric for kids. Uh, you can go to beachhousetheater.org for tickets. Thank you so much. Good luck Thank tonight. Thank yeah, thanks very much for having us here. All right, Chris, back to you. All right, break a leg to the whole cast and crew. Thanks very much, Thank Christy. A reminder from the sheriff's office in California that rings true in our neck of the woods as well. Bears can open car doors. He's not too very happy. No, he wouldn't be. How big is he? He looks huge. Well, that's because it's a small car. A county sheriff was called out in Northern California when a bear got stuck inside the gray car on the right of your screen. So in an effort to keep the bear unharmed, the sheriff shot out the back window with beanbags. After a couple of attempts, the hole just wide enough for the bear to hop out. But he did leave a, a considerable amount of damage in his temporary hideaway. All right, Jay Janner, we're back with sports, and the Whitecaps heading to the big smoke. They are there. They are training today. Thanks, Chris. Uh, evening, everybody. Whitecaps take their five-match unbeaten streak into Toronto for tomorrow's final leg of the Canadian Championship. Caps need to win the match outright or score at least three goals in a draw to lift the Voyagers' Cup. Another 2-2 draw forces extra time, and if needed, penalty shootout. Now here's to Chara, 2-0! If there's a side entering the final leg of the Voyagers Cup Canadian Championship riding a wave of momentum, it's the Vancouver Whitecaps. Caps coming off a thrilling 2-1 derby victory against the Timbers in Portland where they scored at least two goals for the fifth consecutive match. It's an unbelievable win for the boys. You know, when you look at the record of Portland, uh, 14 or 15 games unbeaten, they're unbeaten at home since July last year. I don't think the guys in there get enough credit for how they produced a performance of that magnitude on the weekend. Uh, I certainly give them a lot of credit. I know people outside of Vancouver won't, um, but we're used to that. We're used to being the underdog, as I say all the time. You know, there's, there's common themes that people like to talk about, uh, the so-called big clubs, whether they're doing very well or not very well. Um, you know, we'll just let people talk. The talk that's worth having is, does an MLS club really want to go all in and win the Canadian Championship? Every side will tell you it's all about adding hardware to the trophy cabinet, but at what cost? Because winning the Voyagers Cup means entry to the CONCACAF Champions Club competition, which means more matches and a heck of a lot more travel. You want to win all trophies, and they were, it was amongst a couple of the different goals that we had as a team. Um, we don't take this tournament lightly. We know it's a championship, an opportunity for a trophy, and uh, you know, like I said, we have a job here to do. Everybody wants to play in a championship game, and uh, for us to be here, be here at this point, uh, the games that we've played, uh, it's perfect. You know, no matter what the score of the last game was, we know it's, you know, no matter what happened, it was going to be a different game when we come to Toronto. And we're here now, and uh, we're ready. With seven minutes left to play. We may or may not see Alfonso Davies tomorrow night. Davies is nursing a hip flexor. He didn't play in the Caps' derby victory against the Timbers in Portland on the weekend. He did train today, but was shut down before the session ended. Yeah, not great, to be honest. Uh, you know, it was his first day back. Um, he, he did a little, he, he took part in a little bit of training, but obviously I pulled him out at the end because he was feeling it, so uh, not great. I feel good, you know, just go, go inside and uh, see, see, see the physios. 
BC Lions head into Toronto this weekend with one of the CFL's top performers of the week. Chris Rainey throwing down 221 combined yards against the Edmonton Eskimos, highlighted by his first punt return for a touchdown this season. For Chris Rainey. Good return. Rainey streaking ahead. And Chris Rainey is gone. Touchdown, BC Lions. We were waiting. Finally broke one. Yeah, I give all the credit to the boys up front. So they, they paid the way for me. I found the hole and I hit it. Are we going to see you break a few more? Oh, got to. I got to. Is that what they pay me for? <laughs> yes, sir. 79-yard punt return TD. Throwing another quarterback keeper, Johnny Manziel, to the goal line. They're ruling touchdown Alouettes. Oh, what a drive for Johnny, Johnny Manziel. missed the Alouettes' first on-field practice of the week. Was some concern that Manziel may have suffered a concussion after getting blown up on the goal line during Montreal's loss to Ottawa on Saturday. Took a crushing blow to the head on this touchdown drive. No question that he was woozy when his teammates helped him off the turf. He didn't miss a series of downs, though. Makes you kind of question the old CFL concussion protocol on the sidelines. Montreal head coach Mike Sherman says he expects Manziel to play Saturday in Edmonton. Says Johnny missed practice today due to a previously diagnosed medical condition, a medical condition that required blood work to be done. One more football note. Long-suffering Cleveland Brown fans have some extra incentive to cheer on their Browns this season. Bud Light is offering fans a free beer if and when the Broncos win their first game of the season. Ten Cleveland area bars have been fitted with special victory fridges filled with Bud Light. When the Browns win an electromagnet that keeps the fridges locked up will release the beer and fans can grab a cold one. Uh, Cleveland hasn't won an NFL football game since week 16 of the 2016 season. Bud Light says it'll change out the beer every month to ensure the beer remains fresh for that first victory. <laughs> Quick work today for Milos Ronich, barely breaking a sweat during his opening match of the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. He wiped qualifier Dusan Lajovic in straight sets, converted three of five breakpoint opportunities. Milos never faced a breakpoint himself. He had a nice forehand winner there. Easily took the opening set 6-3. That's one of his 13 aces on the day. Just no stopping that big serve, not when Milos is on. 95% of his first serves he turned into points today. Was over and out, done in 57 minutes. He breaks in the final game. It's a 6-3, 6-3 straight set victory today. Denis Shapovalov is just getting on court right now. Ronich is on to the second round. He would have met Rafael Nadell, but Nadell pulled out. So maybe an easier route for uh, Milos Ronich. And Vashik Pospisil just getting ready to take center court at the Vancouver Audlin Brown Open up at Hollyburn. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, the pair may have flown away for a while. That is a very big bird, by the way. But some familiar <laughs> former residents in Vancouver's Olympic Village are back. The giant sparrows are part of the city's public art program. They underwent an upgrade, and as Linda Aylesworth reports, they're back stronger than ever, but that doesn't mean they can take everything that's being thrown at them. Nothing like a large truck and the promise of a big reveal to draw a crowd, albeit a small one. It's been kind of lonely not having them around here, and now, now we've got them back. It's, uh, we're, we're, we're glad to see them here. They are the birds, a pair of enormous swallows that have called Olympic Village home since 2010, the year Vancouver hosted the Olympic Games. But time and their admiring public had not been kind to them. Basically, they'd been loved to death. 
uh, people really love climbing on them. Skateboarders were trying to use them in cases for tricks. And um, the way they were built before couldn't really hold up. The city decided they needed more than a repair job. Their foam core just wasn't up to the onslaught of attention. We um, sent them off to uh, some fabricators in Calgary who rebuilt them, repaired the damage so that molds could be made so that they could be cast in aluminum. Today, just in time for this weekend's Vancouver Bird Week, they're back, being ever so carefully lifted back onto their perches. We're big fans of cranes and birds, right Jack? So when we saw the combination, we had to spend a few minutes observing. The bill, $400,000, money the public art department put away over time in a maintenance fund. That's quite the expense. They really care about those birds. It is, and they do. But it's more about the public caring for them. We miss these birds. They've been on their long migration, and I'm glad to have them back. The city's only request, that we love them a little more gently. We still would prefer people didn't sort of bike off of them or do skateboarding on them. We really want them to be able to hold up for the long term. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.